This is unstructured. This is completely different. I've never done this before, but I was about to release an episode with David Freiheit, aka Viva Fry. How are you doing today, David? Good in yourself. Fantastic. About to release it, but over these past few weeks since the interview, all kinds of things have happened. And I feel like we need to follow up on the interview. So this is going to be a back-to-back episode. You'll get to meet David. And now we're going to discuss what has happened between these interviews. Starting with David, you were going to do some research on Canadian, I don't know if you call it Bill, but it's C-16. And it's come up a lot here in America because we're suddenly concerned about pronoun use in Canada. Yeah, so that that was one of the recurring comments in my comment sections on certain videos. How does it feel to have compelled speech in Canada? You guys don't have freedom of speech. And I looked into the Bill C-16, which is the the basis for those claims. And the Bill C-16 was an act to amend the Canadian Charter of Human Rights and the Criminal Code to add gender identity and gender expression to protected classes and to... Uh, aggravating circumstances in sentencing as relates to certain crimes. And so, I, I mean, I did my research. I, I, I focused a lot, not a lot, but rather I, I detailed what Jordan Peterson's concerns were, what he was raising as potential issues. Uh, a lot of people believe Jordan, Jordan Peterson's predictions are going to come to fruition and cite certain cases to evidence the fact that they already have come to fruition. One of the cases was... Um, it was uh, a transgender person in British Columbia that sued the police force for alleged discrimination based on sex. And the headline talking point or the, you know, the one-liner was that uh, they, she won a case because the police allegedly misgendered her. Uh, and I read that case, and it's a little more complicated than that because it was part and parcel of, of a circumstance that could be qualified as uh, broader and more systematic than just misgendering someone where they wouldn't let this person perform a medical treatment that the person has to perform as part of their transitioning. And so the, the human rights court may have sort of factored that all into one circumstance of harassment or discrimination. So it wasn't just like not gendering someone the proper way. Um, but you can understand the concerns of people and you can understand how people see this as a slippery slope and you get one bad case law that sets precedent that other uh, that sort of gets compounded by further bad case law. I mean, it's, it's not- it, yeah, sure. In that case, though, it sounds like what you're saying is they weren't charging directly on the misgendering. They were using the misgendering to substantiate the other argument, like to show maybe the attitude, and that's why they were holding back from medical treatment. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that was the idea that I that's the understanding that I got from reading the judgment that this person filed six different complaints against the Vancouver police. Only two incidents were recognized, and one of them was where the person was denied um, the ability to perform this procedure, which is called dilation, multiple times. Uh, The second one was the same uh, refusal to accommodate this medical procedure that was required for the transitioning, coupled with the fact that the police were also deliberately referring to the person by their legal name, which was Jeffrey. Um, And so, you know, the court takes it as a whole, as a circumstance that it was part and parcel of discrimination, all of it together, not just calling someone who identifies as a she, a he. So, but you could see how the oversimplified summary is sure. the, the one-liner. And I mean, that's unfortunately what happens in the media. But the other, the other expression in law is that bad cases make for bad law. And you don't, you don't set the rule based on these outlier decisions. The question is, and the real concern is, when do these outlier decisions themselves become precedent for 
mainstreaming the outlier decisions uh, and if if and when you brought up an interesting question in my mind um okay let's say my name uh, you know i'm eric but i want you to call me charlotte but i did not legally change my name by rights the police and other authorities w could call me by my legal name right i've never I changed it it's an interesting thing. I mean, from a legal perspective, especially when it refers to the police identifying someone, I don't see how else they can do it other than by official documents, government IDs. And, you know, it's you can change your name. You have to go through certain procedures, judicial procedures. It's, um, I mean, it's one of those things. Yeah, I can easily foresee refusal to call someone by their chosen name to be an act of harassment if it, done in a certain context. I can also see it just being a legal thing where the police are booking someone, they have to book the person under the legal name. How they were, you know, how and what was their inflection when they were repeatedly using the name that the person didn't want to use? Like, were they doing it like Jeffrey, Jeffrey pointing their fingers at the person or were they saying we're booking you under Jeffrey, it was a one-off and the person took that to constitute mm -hmm. harassment. These are the details that, you know, unless you can read the judgments and they will not necessarily go into this, this level of detail to describe the circumstances, but reading the judgment, it wasn't just referring to the person by their legal name, which they no longer wanted to use, or by their legal gender, which they no longer wanted to use. It was part and parcel of a of a of a ecosystem or a relationship that had been established between this person and the police force because this person had a lot, you know, had multiple encounters with the police where there might have been animosity between the police department and this individual that materialized um, the way it did and that led to you know the person filing complaints. I mean, the person that had multiple run-ins with the law, it was, it was not like a one-off incident with, with a person. Gotcha. So pattern of hit or history is there. It, history is there. And I mean, and of the six incidents where there were allegations, only two were recognized by the court, but you know, it could be a police force frustrated and angry with someone and, and acting in improper means, or it could just be a, an overly uh, protectionist or overly zealous human rights tribunal that's, uh, there to protect the the people that they are literally created to protect. Yeah, I, and probably is something somewhere in the middle. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's it's always it's always somewhere in the middle. But you, again, like there are there were more details than the headlines, and even among the details you get from reading the decision, you'll never get the the full scope of the evidence that was adduced before the judges or the the tribunal deciders. Okay, now um, back to the original Jordan Peterson's complaint. Now, what he is stating or has stated and hopefully i interpret it correctly is not that you're not allowed to use derogatory terms but actually the reverse that if someone states that they are a z or zem or, or or whatever it is you are required by law to reference them in that manner so th that yeah a proper interpretation of the law or is he incorrect in your opinion. So he's not saying that under the law you would have to. What he's saying is that it could be, um, it could constitute harassment under um, or a violation of the of the Canadian Charter. And the reason why he says that is you have now gender expression and gender identity added as a amended and included as a protected class, whereas you already had sexual orientation, race, religion, creed, all the other stuff. The and this applies uh, to federally regulated entities, right? So it's not, again, it's not inter-individual citizens. You have, in, you have provincial legislation that governs the citizen-to-citizen -citizen conduct. This is federally regulated um, entities that are governed by this. So they can't discriminate on the basis of that. Where he goes, and it's, it's one step a little further because the law doesn't require that, period. Black and white, it doesn't. The question is reading in between the lines and knowing the direction that the human rights tribunals are going, 
he then cited the, um, it's called the Ontario Human Rights Commission website, which itself said, yes, deliberately and repeatedly misgendering someone can constitute harassment and a charter violation. And then they cite this Vancouver decision, the one we were just talking about, as the authority. And so th this itself is not law, it's not yet case law, and it's not yet regulation, but you can see where Jordan Peterson's concerns are. And they're, they're, I say they're not illegitimate because you can see the concern, you can see the d direction is going, and then what could end up happening, and apparently it's sort of already happening, is you have these universities implementing, uh, I don't want to say bylaws, but uh, codes of conduct. Mm -hmm. which, which the concern is that, yeah, it says uh, you know, if a student wants to be gendered a certain way, you have to do it. And then the deduction is refusal to do it because of your own beliefs could constitute harassment. So the, the concern is definitely there. And you can sort of see, you could follow the, the line of reasoning and even the, I don't want to call it, I, I did call it a reductio ad absurdum in the video, but you could see the, you could see the, the, the most extreme interpretation. It, it's conceivable and it's almost, there are some examples that can lend credibility to it. But for the time being, no, it's not, literally illegal to misgender someone the question is can it constitute harassment if someone does it repeatedly maliciously or whatever and then what constitutes maliciously uh, but it, it, to some extent it's no different than any other form of harassment calling somebody a name uh, mm -hmm. could be could constitute harassment uh, if done under the under certain circumstances that you know a, a human rights tribunal later determines to be harassment yeah, that uh, it, it definitely is a slippery slope type of situation, though. I mean, I can see him in a lecture hall with um, somebody raising their hand to answer a question and then somebody else talking to him is his referencing the first person saying, well, she said, blah, blah, blah. I'm not she, I'm Z. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's yeah. where all of this rhetoric becomes weaponized to some extent is where it, it, it can be abused on both ends where you could say one can sort of try to weaponize an accident or a refusal or rather a choice to say, okay, I'll avoid the ambiguity, just what's, what's your name type thing. Uh, but you can see how conceivably someone will turn it into uh, something for precedent where they will take the one incident, go to the human rights tribunal and then try to set a precedent. And it is a slippery slope. And I haven't yet done the video on it, but in Quebec, we had our famous decision of uh, Mike Ward, the stand-up comic who was ordered to pay $42,000 in moral and punitive damages for uh, a bit he did on a handicapped teenager. So you, you can see where these precedents, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't require that much of a stretch of the imagination to see where it could go. The only thing is that you hopefully have the Supreme Court of Canada, which you hopefully follows the law. So if you get these outlier bad decisions and they do work their way up, although it takes time, money and resources, that the Supreme Court gets it right and, and establishes clarity where there might be ambiguity and a slippery slope in the law. Well, speaking of which, though, you can't depend on the Supreme Court. You never know which way they'll fall. You just released a video um, for F-U-C-T. Yep. And you pronounced fucked, so that way we don't drop implicit, explicit tags down. But it didn't work out exactly the way you thought. And do you want to go into that one real quick? Well, that's an interesting thing. And a lot of people were saying, you know, and rightly not critiquing, but observing that my my prediction and my analysis of the situation is very much from a Canadian perspective. I'd say mm. my my analysis of the actual question was sort of oversimplified because it wasn't about Fucht per se. It was about the provisions of the Lanham Act or the Trademark Act, the Trademark Act that prohibit registration of scandalous or immoral terms. And so they weren't defending Fucht per se, and neither was the court. They were just striking down 
the provision of, of the of the Lanham Act that they deemed to be unconstitutional because it discriminated based on what they referred to as viewpoint and not just expression. So it wasn't like a crime. They're, they're kind of saying that it's a thought crime. Like what they were saying you- is that the government can refuse to register a trademark, not based on a, a viewpoint neutral perspective, but rather it lent itself to discrimination by government officials if they did not agree or if they thought the idea being expressed was immoral. And that's something I think I'm going to do a live stream. It will have been done by the time we do this, but a live stream to flesh that out because it's an interesting nuance. Is they said mm-hmm. it wasn't Fooked. Fooked in and of itself could was probably not registrable if the law had been drafted constitutionally. It's that the law as drafted allowed for the government authorities to refuse recognition or registration of a trademark if they thought the idea being expressed was scandalous, as they had done in the past. Like um, there was one, you can't spell healthcare without THC, which was rejected because they said it's immoral and scandalous in that it uh, promotes drug use. So there you have the government rejecting (laughs) an idea based on the idea itself, not just based on an expletive. Right. And so I think it was, I don't know who the dissenting was or partially dissenting said, Fucht is not protected, but the way the law is drafted is it, it includes the Fucht and it includes the expression of ideas, which first, which is First Amendment protected. I think that was Roberts. I think, I think it was Roberts also, um, because I Roberts thought, is the guy who kind of he's sort of the centrist of the court anymore, where he'll float back and forth. He's supposed to be kind of right wing, but I think he's a little more centrist. He surprises people a lot. Well, I don't know enough about the history of the Supreme Court decisions and the history of each justice. And a lot of people were commenting, I think it was Roberts who in this decision said, we can't rewrite the law. And a lot of comments in the comment section were saying, what did you, what did you guys do with the Affordable Health Care Act? Um, which apparently Roberts was from what I read in the comments and I haven't read the decision was... He played, he played fast and loose on that by saying, somehow was a taxing i mean he, he kind of went at it sideways and i'm not a lawyer so i don't understand all of it but he's a squirrely guy i mean well, he's the, very sharp he knows the law obviously so deeply and the the, ac- the accusation was that there was an inconsistency between his standpoint in this decision where you can't rewrite the law to make it constitutional versus what apparently he did with the with the affordable health crack which i haven't read the uh, i haven't read but apparently he rewrote the provisions to make it a tax and therefore defensible. So he said what he was sucking and blowing in terms of not rewriting laws to make them constitutional in one case where he did the exact opposite in another, but I have no personal knowledge of that because I hadn't read that decision, but those were the comments. So now what, what you're saying though, just so I understand the um, interpretation is if you, if they had um, a policy or guideline or, or whatever that stated, you cannot register terms that are either deemed explicit or reflect explicit as examples. You know, so it's not going with the thought or a tense, it's just that these are commonly um, a considered a, a, I don't know what you call them, but the dictionary, you can use a dictionary or something else just saying. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that would be, ex, ex, oh, let's yeah. say, expletives or offensive, terms that are right. offensive in and of themselves, but not because of the ideas they convey. And Yeah, some variant. And I mean, and that's what, the invitation was to Congress was to redraft these provisions. You want to ban words like "fucked," and I made the joke like "shiat" and "biatch" and you know racial slurs. Those I, those terms are scandalous and immoral, but don't express a viewpoint. Whereas, as drafted, this law bans offensive terms which don't express a viewpoint, but also ban terms which are offensive because of the viewpoint they express. And that's that itself was deemed to be the unconstitutional infringement of the of the First Amendment. And you also pointed out that just because it may not be registerable, 
it is in fact still um, an actionable trademark. You have certain common law protections, which I'm going to have to do a separate uh, volume on that because it's it's more than just a, a few sentences. But you have certain common law protections where nobody can operate that, but nobody can infringe on that trademark or that, that the, nobody can infringe on that trademark within a certain geography with their, where you affect sales, but you don't have certain prima facie evidence of validity of the trademark. And you don't have these legal recourses that you otherwise have when you are pursuing trademark infringement based on a registered trademark. But no, you, see, it- you still have some, what we call common law protection. It's just not as extensive and it's not as expansive as if you are able to register it. Is it similar to um, what I always grew up hearing, a poor man's copyright, where you write a song, you record on a CD, and you mail it to yourself, or you write a book and you mail it to yourself as proof that this date, this time, you had created this idea? It's no, it's it's not the same thing because, as far as I understand, on that, the registering a copyright versus not registering a copyright doesn't impact the rights and recourses of the copyright holder. Not uh-huh. getting federal registration of a trademark in fact impacts certain recourse that you can that you can have so it's not a question of it's not a question of it being harder to obtain those recourses or those protections it's you are not able to obtain those protections whereas oh. common law protection of a trademark is much more limited and less extensive than registration of a trademark and so that's why it's a lot of people i think it was roberts who said we're, we're not actually den- it's not a first amendment issue because we're not denying their right to use the terms we're just denying government protection of them where other people say that's a that's sort of a false argument because in denying government protection, the government is effectively discriminating based on uh, uh, freedom of expression, which I, mean, I, I can definitely see both sides because I think it was Roberts who said the government has an incentive not to associate itself with certain controversial concepts. But the flip side to that argument is it's not by allowing the registration that the government is condoning, approving, or promoting it. It's just offering equal protection under the law. So I can definitely understand both sides. I think I'm more inclined to go with the latter than the former. You know, it's funny because that's almost like the government itself is an entity. Like the government has its own freedom of association or freedom of speech as if there it's an individual. I mean, in his interpretation, in his interpretation. Yeah. It's basically saying like it's implying or suggesting that by offering, sorry, let me start that again. Cause I just, I don't know how to turn off the notifications when I'm doing these things. It, it's, it's suggesting that by granting protection or legal protection, that somehow is tantamount to moral appro- moral approbation or moral approval, which I think a lot of people will take issue with. It's not, the government offers, you know, let's just take an example, government services to everybody as it should. Uh, and if it started saying, well, we don't want to give protection or, or, or certain services to certain people because of what they think, then you're getting into the question of, are you being discriminated against based on freedom of expression? And I think most people would say that you are. And the government uh, just needs to apply the law equally without factoring in at what ideas someone might have. And so it's not by granting or registering a trademark over Fucht that the government is now saying, yay, Fucht is no longer a swear word, or we agree with get Fucht. It's just, it's just application of the law and they don't discriminate or they should not based on the expression of ideas. All right. Well, that leads in perfectly to the other subject, and that is a corporation who, shall we say, does discriminate. <laughs> it, it would seem that there is, at the very least, uh, problems with the way things are going. And uh, we can all hypothesize as to what the problem is, what the motivation for the problem is, or what the cause of the problem is. And let's just get clear, we're talking about YouTube taking down videos and whether or not manual reviews are in fact manual, whether or not the manual reviews are politically influenced, ideologically influenced. 
And my recent experience, given that I, I do consider myself not to be a, a political channel, but rather say an educational one or an informative one or a humorous one, having some videos taken down seemingly on a subject matter basis and not even on an expression of idea basis. But almost uh, arbitrary. Arbitrary is, is it's arbitrary, but it's sort of almost predictable having seen the pattern now because the three themes, the three subject matters of videos that I have had either demonetized or removed setting aside the content because I, I nobody is ever going to believe that anything in my videos constitutes hate speech. It's just the pure subject matter. Let's say what the content is without naming the individual. Oh, well, because you have age. Well, you have AJ is one of them. Then you have, uh, uh, no, we'll name, we'll name the um, individual later, but I'm saying if we just break it down on its face, you did a video of a deposition of an individual. Uh, yes. And you critiqued, some of the methodology of the lawyer that was questioning the individual. You could call it critiqued or observed or co comment, but I'll, I'll accept critiques. I, I was, I noted that so, yeah, some of the, I, I pointed out certain uh, weaknesses in the deposition while highlighting how the deposition works so that people can actually understand. Right. And the bottom line is though, it had nothing to do with the individual who was being questioned, it was more of a, as a lawyer, when you are doing this, the individual probably will not answer this question because you asked it in that manner, or you're asking the question wrong. So the individual is not going to answer that type of thing. So it was not political. It wasn't supporting or. I, I would say I, it was even potentially critical of the individual being deposed because I did in law make a prediction as to what I think is going to happen if this ever gets to trial. Uh, but it was the same breakdown of a deposition that I did of Lil Wayne's deposition. Just it wasn't Lil Wayne this time. You know, that was po right. pointing out that some questions based on formulation become unanswerable because they're convoluted, because they're too long, because they are opinion questions and not fact questions for witnesses of fact. It was it was a, a, a legal analysis to... Did the Lil Wayne get demonetized? Say it again. Did Lil Wayne get demonetized? No, Lil Wayne actually got demonetized, but for another reason. That was from a copyright claim from Sony and Warner Brothers, which I contested or disputed and ultimately won. Uh, I say won. Ultimately, I was able to monetize it because uh, TMZ Warner Brothers claimed copyright over the deposition video, and I disputed it saying you, it's a deposition, it's public record, you can't claim copyright over public domain content, and uh, the dispute was resolved in my favor. I think they abandoned the claim. Now, before we get, go back into that, I, I want to point out that there is a problem that I see here with the demonetization angle. Like, okay, when you put up a video, the vast majority of your views are within the first 24 hours, correct? It depends on the type of content. When it is timely content, yes. Like, let's take, for example, uh, um, something that's in the news, uh, Jesse Smollett, for example. That type of, that type of legal breakdown, yes. With the other type, like say the Justin Bieber deposition or Lil Wayne, they've been around for years. So sure. it's, it's okay. the immediate subscribers who are going to constitute the bulk of the initial views within say the first 24 hours. And then it's called, you know, the evergreen stuff, people who are into law, it might pick up more steam later on, but definitely with the things that are, I don't want to say trending subjects in a cynical way, but the, the issues that are occurring at the time, the vast majority of the views come within the first 24, 48 hours, which is when well, the demonetization comes in also. Just like my podcast, my subscribers, boom, my first bulk, 24 hours, mail, couple days, whatever. Now, if you release a video, though, and it's demonetized, and then you fight it, and then it gets remonetized, well, you've lost that initial hit. For sure. sure. And this is why a lot of people, 
release unlisted, they release the video unlisted first to see if it gets demonetized because the second it gets uploaded, unless you are really, you know, you contain music that gets claimed right. upon uh, upload, it usually is green lighted right away. And then if there's an issue, it gets yellow flagged or demonetized shortly after. So some people upload unlisted and just wait a bit to see if it's going to get demonetized before making it public. And if it does get demonetized, claim it before releasing it or publishing it to your subscribers. But yeah, typically that's the problem. I and mean, they know darn well. I don't know that it's done on purpose to penalize. It's just, it might just be a flaw in the system, but because there is no other time in which it's going to get demonetized. It's not going to get demonetized a week later. It's, it's an automatic sort of crawling system that picks the YouTube for content that is claimed or copyrighted. And then the people make the claim and then it's up to you to fight it. Right. But then the video in question that we had with you, at least you probably got most of your money out of it before it got demonetized. Oh yeah, all, all 37 bucks. <laughs> no, actually, I didn't get any money out of that one. Set aside the fact that it only has, as of now, the one that got demonetized, then removed, then reinstated, then remonetized, only has 37,000 views as of today. It never made any sense as to why that video was demonetized and removed to me, period. Because the original analysis, which, got, which is over 200,000 views now, Never had an issue, never got flagged, never got demonetized, never got removed, never got reported. I mean, it's, I, don't, I don't see how it could have. The second one, in which I only answered questions being asked in the first to follow up and clarify, obviously, I, I don't see how it could have ever had a problem, but that didn't have the same popularity as the first one. It was just to answer some lingering questions, so there was lesser interest in it. But that one got demonetized. Okay, I mean, I couldn't understand how. I appealed it and the appeal was rejected. So the demonetization was confirmed. Okay, fine. Move on. Two weeks later, I get an email saying it's removed from YouTube because it violates the terms of uh, community guidelines. Couldn't conceivably understand how that worked. Say it again. And uh, uh, violated community guidelines very specifically under a specific. Oh, no, 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 no. It's even, it's even more detailed than that because I didn't get the specific term. I didn't get the specific community guideline then. I only noticed that the, the justification of the community guidelines breach when I clicked on the video after it had been removed and saw the notification on it. They didn't even tell me why it was removed. They just oh, said wow. it violated community guidelines. It's been removed. Appealed, appeal rejected, confirmed removed from YouTube. Then it's three days later when I go click on the URL, just I don't even know why I did it. That because I, you had to click it to report it. No, no, no. This, this, it was at this point that, no, it's, it's, very, it's complicated because when I first click on it to appeal it, I see the video because it's my video and it says, you'll be able to see the video for seven days. And if you want to appeal, you can appeal. And then you, you click appeal and then it goes through. And then the, the, the response came back saying, sorry, it's been removed. And then it's off. And then I can't find it unless I go get the original URL, which I had in the tweet. And it's on. Do you use a private browser to see what people see? No, no, no. Oh, th that time I did. Yeah. I had signed out just to see what other people see. Um, okay. So it was only going back three days later after the, appeal was dismissed and it was confirmed removed from YouTube, I go just to click and I don't know why. And then I see it says for breaching the community guidelines as relates to hate speech, learn more about hate speech in your country. And that's actually what I got livid, as livid as I get. I mean, I, I, I sort of laughed livid. Canadian livid. Canadian livid. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's funny. I don't have any hate speech. Eh? It, was, it, was, it was outlandish. It was outlandish to me. But then I'm sitting there thinking like, it's outlandish to me. It's outlandish to anybody who knows me. And it's outlandish to anybody who follows me. But it's not outlandish to anybody who has never heard of me. And someone sent them this link, and now they say, "Oh, lawyer, Montreal lawyer, Viva Fry has video removed for hate speech." I mean, that's and and that actually is really, really dangerous. It's because tremendously now, dangerous. Now I can write a Wikipedia article on you, 
And I know you follow Tim Pool, and he talks about this routine well, uh, you know, often because he's into journalism and the way you can do hit pieces. But I can write a piece on David Freiheit and say, David Freiheit, controversials had videos removed due to hate speech. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's oh, and now it's true. It's You're, sorry, I just labeled you. It, well, you know the good thing is now it, only because of the way it turned out, it's not true. And I don't know if I don't know if YouTube actually ever if anyone saw my follow up video where I was joking about whether or not I sue YouTube for defamation or whether or not I was pontificating it. But it's it's true, and that's that's the that's where like the power lies in the accusation. It's yeah, YouTube can always dangle it over my head. In a year from now, no one's going to remember the context. No one's going to even know the backstory. They're just going to know one fact, video removed for hate speech. Now, you know, by the pure fluke of things, it's not only not true, but it's demonstrably not true that the initial hate speech label was uh, preposterous to the point where not only did they reinstate the video, but they remonetized it. Um, but yeah, that's that's how it works. It's just... Uh, but that's not relevant. If I'm, if I'm your enemy... I'm a competing channel and I want to do a hit job on you. I, I can't. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely the, the damage is done to that extent. And that, and that was actually part of the thought process is like, yeah, do, do you make a stink about this? If I make a stink about it, I'm bringing this all to the attention of people who may never have heard about it. Cause you could only click that link. You could only see that message. If you click the link and you had to have the link to click it. So only let's just say 10 people had that link before I made the video, but mm. that doesn't change the fact that YouTube, can then say a year down the line, oh, his channel already had one removed uh, for hate speech. And even though he didn't get a community strike, well, now we're going to go back and find three more things to, to shut his channel down if that were so, you know, their objective, which is which is politics. I mean, that's, that's just how politics works when you want to take down an enemy. And then you just have to hope you, I, 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 I live clean and, I'm, and I'm, I, I live clean, but it's not even, you know, clear that in this day and age, living clean and being honest and out and forthright is uh, is, is sufficient protection. <laughs> That's true, and at least you answered it. So let's say when your fans sees somebody commenting on it or or doing hippies, they can at least post a link to your response. Well, yeah, it, it was what was great is the, the 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 evidentiary way in which my video played out, and it just it was very funny the way it sort of wrote itself. But now that it has <laughs> been documented and detailed and evidenced from you know point one to point. 10 with all of the evidence in between chronologically presented on youtube and on BitChute, the, the story is there and it's going to be tough to falsify it but or exaggerate it but you could see how easy it is to f falsify exaggerate to demonize and uh cancel somebody if if that were the political or ideological uh motivation to do so but you have to admit it's still chilling because i noticed right after I talked to you, I mean, within a day or two, all of a sudden, oh, there's a BitChute link. Oh, okay, there's a Subscribestar link. Hmm, I wonder what's going on. It, it's like you see how things are and you know that at any minute you could be shut down tomorrow. It's It was the, yeah, I mean, I I, I don't want to create the BitChute and the Subscribestar. Well, the, the Subscribestar is not a video hosting platform, so it's not the same thing, but I, I was reluctant to, oh, sorry, say that again? It's alternative to Patreon. Yeah, so I said it's 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 a it's a funding site, but not a hosting site. Um, I, I was reluctant to do it, and the the paranoid neurotic part of me was reluctant to do it because I don't know if that breaches YouTube's terms of service. Is is engaging with the competitor for the purposes of call it backing up content that might be removed from YouTube? Is that a, is that a breach of the terms of service? But well, there's another problem too. I don't know if you thought of this, but you know the um, psychopath who went into Pennsylvania and shot up. The um, I, I was a Jewish the synagogue, synagogue. Sorry. Well, he was a Twitter user, 
but he was also a gab.ai user. Mm-hmm. And when it came up, all the all the press anybody talked about was this gab AI person, this gab user, blah, blah, blah. So now you have to also worry that, okay, great. Well, a lot of people who are kicked off of YouTube are using BitChute. Oh, so you're using BitChute. Oh, yeah, you- the, guilt, the guilt by association for these alternative platforms, which are, which is why you have to be even careful before you go to them, because there are certain websites and alternatives to the mainstream that do host a lot of uh, shot. You know, they host a lot of content that would never be permitted on mainstream platforms. In addition to hosting the stuff that people that would otherwise get potentially wrongly censored on mainstream platforms. So even before going to BitChute, yeah, I was I looked into is this going to be one of those quote alt right websites that's going to be that's going to like make me guilty by association even by using it. Um, and yeah, so you have you have to you have to think about those things. But when the when the uh, second follow up deposition video went down, and everyone's like, well, I, you know, I want to see where can I see the video? That's when I realized right. the value is at some point you have to have enough confidence in in say society, but also your own your own products that no one's going to be able to reasonably abuse of it to make you look bad. So, you know, whatever people think of BitChute, fine. But if they go see the video, they'll at least know that there was nothing that on its face, right. you know, even re- remotely resembled anything of hate speech in there. It's, but yeah, you have to think about these things because some of these platforms themselves carry with them moral weight just by virtue of, of being on them or even using them, even if you're not on them. And by the way, I'm not saying that's fair. I think it's ridiculous. I mean, it, the, the platform, you know, for example, Gab AI, they say we are a free speech platform. Unless it's, you know, a call to action or anything like that, nobody's removed. Well, because they say that their free speech doesn't mean, you know, doesn't by default mean that they're hate speech. That doesn't mean they're all right. It means they're free speech. No, no, because- absolutely. And, and it's the thing, like, you know, they, they do they do depict the Gab AI as being, you know, uh, extremist. The, oh, yeah. the, the reality is, though, I had a, a Reddit account and I, and I still have my YouTube, but I, I got called uh, all sorts of names on those platforms that that do not make the entire platform uh, the the uh, of the nature of the comments that you get. So it, it's it is the the double standard where it's painting with a single brush the adversary, but using the nuanced brushes when it comes to yourself. But I, I get I tell you, I've gotten more hateful comments on on Reddit and YouTube. But oh. but I don't, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna then say as a whole the platform is X Y or Z. It's it's a, it's a platform with people on it, and people are people have different views and different characteristics of of expression. Well, I think that's a competitive stunt. I mean, you know, it it helps Twitter to say, oh, Gab AI, sorry, you, you know, potential competitor. Oh, that's an alt right cesspool. Boom, and then that keeps them up, you know, at a higher level. And Facebook, you know, the controlling players, they don't really want new platforms to come in and potentially take. No, there's, there's no question. And, and it allows for, it allows for broad brushstroke demonizing of people who think differently than you, even, even while some of them may have bad ideas and some of them may have uh, contemptuous and, and discriminatory ideologies. It allows, it allows for you to paint everybody who, who has a differing ideology with that same brush. And it's uh, it, it is, it's a tactic. I mean, it's it's always been around. It just seems to be more prevalent today because everything seems to be so highly politicized that the easiest way to demonize your adversary is to uh, call them the worst names in the book with no nuance. But when it comes to one's own conduct and and tweets, give it nuance and context. It's just uh, those are just that's just how the game is played. 
Now that brings us to another question of the um, platform versus publisher. Do you think that these services by that, I mean, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, do you think they're claiming um, protection as a platform, but then in actuality are acting as a publisher at times? Well, they definitely are reaping the benefits of the immunity under, under the CDA and, and, and the, uh, the DMCA. Uh, Communications Decency Act and the Millennial Digital Millennium Copyright Act. So they definitely reap the benefits of being a platform. Uh, and then you know, then it's going to be a question of opinion and assessing the current state and determining whether or not they are in fact acting as publishers. It's it's getting if the situation is going to come to a head sooner than later. Uh, you know, either by a legislative means um, or government intervention means. It's it's but they are walking the line and i think most people would probably say they are obviously overstepping it when it comes to certain things and the most recent round of uh, and here we get <laughs> the, the most recent rounds of disclosures or undercover reporting it seems to illustrate the fact that it that it's definitely acting as a publisher and potentially a, a politically motivated one but i think setting aside the politics because most people it because the politics is just too divisive i think just sure. on its face they act as a publisher when they make very discretionary editorial decisions as to what stays up and what exactly. goes down. So set aside the politics. I don't care if you believe it's you know a, a bias against conservatives. I think they're definitely acting as a publisher. Well, they picked on on um, some left wing people. Yeah, it, it's, it's that, and that's that's the well. Tim Tim Pool is odd because he he everyone says he identifies as left. I I can't pin him because I know I know that he, he definitely harbors political beliefs which are on both ends of the of the dichotomy he's u.s left not canadian yeah, left. but he's even on the left on some issues that are canadian left issues although no but i mean it's, it's yeah there's no question that they get both sides and and even for my own comment section i have people saying that they are leftist progressives liberals but they're getting fed up with what's going on on youtube what i think it is is i think that tim pool is a single issue person maybe two Kind of like Jimmy Dore. Are you familiar with Jimmy I Dore? I do not believe I am. Okay, he's an online leftist comedian, but he's very anti-war. Tim Pool's pretty anti-war as well. On your channel and with like Tim Pool and Jimmy Dore, etc., they are at heart one-issue voters. Now, Jimmy Dore is an anti-war guy, and I think he'd probably throw out a lot of policies if he could guarantee no more war. Tim Pool, I think, is very much left-wing, but free speech is so important to him they spent a lot of time defending people on the right and things like that because he likes free speech. And I'm thinking, you know, progressive folks on your channel, maybe free speech is just such an important issue to them. That's why it surfaced. Yeah. Well, I think on the one, I think I, my channel, I don't think it's an ideological channel in that. I don't think there's more conservatives than liberals or more liberals than conservatives. I think it's just, it's, a, it's just a channel that on the one hand is entertaining from a superficial humorous perspective and educational from an objective law-based perspective right and you know it's funny whenever i see comments that say oh you 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 have the right-wing crowd with all their comments I, I i genuinely see that the channel sort of brings both sides and you have one side accusing the other and the other side accusing the other which means that both sides are there but i mean my channel is i don't i don't call it a free speech channel because i'm not out there defending right. these uh offensive things that people are saying just for the sake of it even though you know as as an individual i do believe in freedom of speech with certain restrictions and i think the call to action and incitement to violence is really the the limit and i you know that's why i don't delete comments that's why i don't ban people for insulting 
maybe to right. a flaw, which incidentally might have been one of the reasons why the videos were demonetized or removed. Uh, I, I don't know if they go by the comment section. I'm told that they might, but that's interesting. But I mean, I, I implement the automatic sort of hold potentially inappropriate comments. Oh, good. So okay. b just to avoid the obvious ones. So some people say that the comment section might be one of the reasons for which certain videos have problems. But but on the substance of it, I don't delete comments. I don't ban people I, to the extent that there's nothing violent in what they're suggesting. So if, if that's what freedom of speech means, I mean, and if that's noxious or or, or a, a problematic political perspective, or if that makes me right wing or left wing, I'd say we live in, in very sad times. I think the, the freedom of speech is fundamental, which is why some people are criticizing me for supporting or not supporting for ostensibly supporting insofar as I'm not criticizing the legislation. But you know, the other thing is my, my, my channel is not about criticizing legislation. It's about exposing it so that people can decide whether or not they want to criticize it themselves. Right. And, and interpretation, you know, like I said, you weren't criticizing in the Alex Jones video in case people didn't pick it up. It's <laughs> Alex Jones. You were not criticizing or supporting his politics. You were criticizing the performance. I was, I was, I was noting the, what will probably I, I was noticing what the lawyer will probably look back on and say, I could have done that differently, especially as relates to the questions on uh, video footage that was spliced together in one video clip that contained multiple clips from different episodes. I mean, that's, you, you don't need, you can hate or love Alex Jones. You don't need to be an attorney even to understand why that's difficult and a problematic strategy for a, a deposition. Right. Um, it was no different than in your law firm if your partner's, played a video of you and said, you're doing this wrong. You're doing that right. This is hundred oh, percent. It's, it's, it's a, it's a tutorial for anyone who's never done it. It's sort of, it allows you to understand why the lawyers were fighting. I mean, that's the other thing is from a purely informative perspective, it allows you to understand the back and forth between the attorneys. Cause some people are saying, Oh, defendants, attorneys are just being obstructive. Oh, plaintiffs, attorneys are being stubborn. Or, or some people say, what on earth are the lawyers fighting for among each other? This is supposed to be a deposition. And when you understand where the argument comes from, then you can even understand the back and forth between the attorneys from a legal perspective. Speaking of that one, you have a fantastic one about the Texas. Oh gosh, the, the Texas deposition in, um, what was his name? Joe Jamail in that uh, infamous Monsanto <laughs> lawsuit. I, it's the funniest thing in the world. I first saw that video. I'm fairly certain I saw that before I even became a lawyer. So that, that video went viral on E-Bombs World, I think in 2007 or 2006. I mean, that was like I was just finishing law school and I saw that you have no appreciation for what's going on until you've actually then sat through a deposition subsequently. But that was a, that was a fun video to break down from a, from a critical point of view where someone would say, oh, I'm being mean to Joe Jamail and look at his massive success. My assessment is, is obviously wrong headed, but it was an amazing, a fun thing to break down. Those, that was a particularly hilarious deposition. Well, perfect. Now, what have I missed that we haven't covered over this past period the new developments oh congress yes let's talk about that because there was some interesting timing about your video magically appearing in a user or a, one of your fans saying oh i thought this video was gone what happened this past week that maybe well i guess it's just a coincidence but maybe it could be causal it was definitely coincidental timing if it, it, it was on an objective basis, the timing was interesting. That the video, which was removed, uh, I, I think it was two weeks ago, three weeks ago, 
automatically and magically reappeared unsolicited. That's the, that's the funny thing is it was unprompted, unsolicited. I didn't ask or file a new appeal. It reappeared two days ago, which was the day after congressional hearings on commerce where Ted Cruz was grilling the, uh, I don't know if she's an exec from Facebook, but she certainly was uh, a higher up. It was a YouTube person. No, no, the, the one from, uh, the one from. That was Crenshaw. Crenshaw, the congressman did Facebook and Ted Cruz, I think was the UX person from YouTube. I thought it was from Google, but I don't know. It, it is either way. It's, it's, Google yeah, that's the thing. So it might, it was, I, I don't remember them specifically. Ta- it was, yeah, it was, it was, but it was definitely odd timing where the person was talking about uh, the algorithm and Ted Cruz was, was grilling on this project Veritas expose that showed that there's uh, political bias in the algorithm in terms of what videos it flags and what channels it shuts down. And after this grilling where they reassured Congress in, very uh, lawyerly terms that they are neutral and focus on all users the day after was when that video reappeared. And then it was the day after that, after I made my video, my follow-up video, that the video was remonetized. So this is where you can get into the idea that people, people obviously come to the conclusion it's politically motivated, or I should say people come to the conclusion that it is obviously politically motivated. And others might just say, mm-hmm. this is just a broken system where you, there is no human manual review. It is all done by bots and AI and algorithms. And when they say certain terms are off subject, if, we, if one wants to play naive or if one wants to just play the perfect center, they'll say, maybe they're not targeting conservative channel, but the words they're putting in are necessarily going to target certain issues that are being discussed or addressed in conservative channels. Oh, what are your thoughts? Um, did you see the Tim Pool, Jack Dorsey, Joe Rogan? The, the the debacle where Joe Rogan didn't ask Tim uh, Jack Dorsey. The- there was a follow up though where um, Jack Dorsey appeared with his oh. lawyer and Tim Pool and Joe Rogan. I saw I saw portions of it. I didn't see the entire thing, but I saw I, I saw the legalese answers that were being given by the lawyer. Okay, you should do an evaluation of that. By the way, um, what are your thoughts about Tim Pool? And I don't know which service does it. I want to say Minds, but I could be wrong. Where they have a a jury system where they randomly pick a hundred thousand users. And when the videos get flagged, all these users get a link saying, is this offensive content or not? And then they vote yay or nay. And then that dictates whether it is decent material or not. Would that, would that be a, a possible way of, well, it's, it's interesting, but I mean, that's going to then that's going to rely heavily on the overall demographic of the platform and where it's going to be platform dependent in if one thinks that you know the users of Gab AI are predominantly of one political leaning, that will mm-hmm. be reflected in the overall jury pool versus Facebook. Because I'm sure if you at least it would then be a community of the platform versus the uh, overlords of the service. Well, yeah, I, I, but I do think that the overlords of the service. I mean, I think these platforms, the platforms even on their user levels have majority political leanings. I mean, I, I, I don't think it's too controversial to say that Facebook as a platform based on at least the most, the more vocal or what appears to be the most vocal side of it is more left-leaning YouTube as well. People who work there. Yeah. But not the customers. I, I mean, I, the, the people using it, I don't think they're left-leaning or right. I, I think it's a wide cross-section because everybody's uncle, aunt, cousin, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just people, people. So it's, it's true. And I guess that that is probably also, and I'm just laughing to myself, but probably heavily influenced by my my social milieu and my, my national milieu, which is Canada, and where of the what I'm exposed to on Facebook 
is now one of the dogs is going crazy again. Where now they're both going crazy. <laughs> Where what I'm exposed to on Facebook is probably what I, my exposure on Facebook is probably heavily influenced by that. Well, the algorithm does that, and and that's one of the issues I have is that you you can go down a really dark path with the algorithm. Fortunately, I, my channel I feel like is getting cleaned up because. I've got an addiction to America's Got Talent and Britain's Got Talent videos that seem to always be in a dusty room. So I don't know what. <laughs> we, if I, I, you know, the one of the funny things whenever I make my videos where I record my computer screen and I can see my YouTube search or my the, what is what the recommended on the side, I always I notice mm -hmm. a lot of America's Got Talent. I notice a lot of Tim Pool. I notice a lot of uh, the Young Turks have been popping up. But I have been watching. I mean, I watch all of these guys just to know what everybody's saying. But yeah, America's Got Talent always pops up, but I think those are—I think those get promoted uh, by other means <laughs> within the platform. Uh, that's very, very possible. But I, I know I'm guilty of clicking on them, so I know it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, wor the worst audition videos are always the fun ones to watch. My kids and I have a, have a blast watching those. Well, and as a creator, I, I imagine you are just fascinated by the process and everything else. Yeah, well, yeah, I find it less interesting from that perspective, more from the rubbernecking at the bad auditions and being mesmerized by the good ones. I mean, you know, you remember the tape face guys and you remember the magicians who are just mind blowing, but then watching some of the people not take rejection well is uh, always, always makes for entertaining uh, television. Well, that's why they have Simon Cowell. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. it was, and I, I was just watching an episode of The Simpsons when uh, Mo Sislak became a judge with Simon Cowell and Simon Cowell was telling Mo Sislak to be nice. Um, I don't know if you saw that episode. It was, it was a relatively new episode, and it was actually mildly funny. But uh, yeah, when you have judges like Simon who get who deliberately needle people who they know are going to react, I mean, that's mm -hmm. it's it's unfortunate that that's what you need for entertainment. But that's that's what the brand was. It's drama. <laughs> so on that note, where can people find you, David? Viva Fry on YouTube. The Viva Fry on Twitter. I think I just doubled my Twitter handle, my Twitter following within the last month, but I only use Twitter right. to promote my YouTube. I, 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 I don't like the platform very much. Uh, yeah, BitChute, uh, Subscribestar, Patreon. It's always under Viva Fry. Fantastic. And I'll definitely have links here. All right. Awesome. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks again, man. Pleasure. And hopefully there'll be no new developments between now and the time this goes out <laughs> to the general public. I got to scramble. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, please consider subscribing for free. And I mean for free. It is always free. There's no billing, anything else. You can subscribe in your player of choice, which is probably right in your hands. Or you can go to unstructuredpod.com. And there are plenty of links there. Thank you so much. And in the spirit of sharing, here's a couple more shows you may want to check out. Hi, I'm Tyson Franklin, the host of It's No Secret with Dr. T, which is a small business and marketing podcast. Each week, I interview business leaders who openly share the secrets to the massive success. It's No Secret with Dr. T will educate, entertain, and inspire you. Check it out. You'll find it wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can go to my website, TysonFranklin.com. I did not grow up with very much money. Money's energy. Money is something that, that really scares me. You had about 60 grand in debt. Money isn't the answer. Somebody should just give me a lot of money. My dream was to be the WWE wrestler, but you realize that your dreams change over the years. Money is a tool. It's a key to a gate. And at the other side of the gate is 
the things that you really want to do with your life. It's the things that matter most to you. It's pursuing those values that make you ultimately happy. Listen to Inspired Money at inspiredmoney.fm.